I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And joining us in the studio today is Matt Garini, Research Director at Forrester, to discuss the current state of and future of the Agile enterprise. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. So a key principle in the market today is speed. The external market moves fast, technologies are moving fast, and so enterprises need to move fast. Where are we as it relates to speed? Let's now start with IT first. Yeah, I, th- I think speed's one of the big differentiators that you're seeing in the most successful companies. Um, the way I like to talk to people about it is that you see customers want things immediately anymore. Um, and companies like Amazon are trying to do that. And um, that ability for you to be able to deliver capability in a very rapid fashion um, is going to be a key factor for who's going to win and lose. So we see a lot of energy of CIOs thinking about how do they better and more rapidly deliver high quality um, outputs that deliver on customer outcomes. So we're in the midst of our 2019 predictions, and there's a funny little quirk in them, which is there was fairly meaningful ambition in 2018 to make big changes, big changes in CX, big changes in digital, and they sort of met the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is that data governance was a mess, technical debt was real, so there were some foundational things that still had to get worked on that certainly inhibit speed or certainly call away someone's attention from being agile. So how how do you make sense out of sort of the the things that are still in the way and the things that they want to get done? How how do you make sense of that as we think of the agile enterprise? Yeah. You know, that, that whole thing kind of cart before the horse. Um, You you get a lot of that coming from the business, honestly, where people see all these wonderful technologies and they want to use them to to get ahead. And we've seen um, some folks in the IT side really, try to meet those demands and, you know, really comply with that for the business. But we're finding um, you don't have all those foundational elements in place. So what we think is going to happen is you're going to really start to see people to make sure that they have the proper approach to their cloud. Mm-hmm. We really think that you're going to start to see how they think about how they connect mm-hmm. technology, APIs, microservices. Um, and then on the speed side of things, um, you can't innovate unless if you can move in a test and learn type fashion. And Agile is one of the best methodologies for that. So that ability for the CIO to not only deliver on his or her own um, plot of land, but also on the overall enterprises plot um, is going to really come down to how do you start to use things like speed to put that foundation in place so now you can deliver on those higher value opportunities. So you mentioned Amazon in your previous answer, but who... I mean, who's actually delivering against speed in the market and and providing an example or sort of a north star for others? Netflix is the classic that we'll that we'll talk about loads across all of Forrester with how quickly um, they can scale up a new business, but also they are routinely pumping out daily, hourly. Apple does similar things. Um, these companies are you know they're customer focused and they're always tweaking everything that they do and they're always trying to improve to deliver a better experience. So there's a lot of classic examples out there where you just see incredible rates of change and it becomes interesting because you think about it, um, when you work in this agile fashion, you're changing all the time. So what does that do for change management? You know, we all have a construct of change management that we're going to, you know, do this at this point of the project and six months later we're going to do this and well, all of a sudden, when change happens that much, how do you get your team used to dealing with 
continual change and how do you get your customer to focus on continual change as well. So um, they've all worked that out pretty well mm-hmm. and they've been pretty successful with it the last time I looked. Yeah, I get the sense that they have come to terms with or they created the reality that disruption is normal. Mm-hmm. Disruption is not changing from place A to place B. It's just a constant. So therefore, it's no longer disruption. It just is. In the same way, change management sort of tells teams to go from point A to point B and then they stop because then some other place has been realized. And I think what we're learning is then it's just going to change again. It's just the way things are. It's, it's absolutely the way the employees are in need to think. And that's going to be a critical part of this cultural change that's going to have to happen. Matt, so in the discussions we have, we will often reference Amazon, Netflix, and others. Could you give me a firm that didn't start that way, that started in a more analog state, in a more what we would perceive to be a traditional state, if you will, but has sort of crossed that bridge and they're like, no, no, they're operating that way or a piece of their business is operating that way. Yeah. One of the, one of the examples that I have always read about, and um, I did have a conversation with them a while back, um, um, Bosch, the German company, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were looking at the way that they were going to innovate and they realized that just using traditional management constructs wasn't going to work. And so um, their senior team looked at it and said, well, let's try and work in a more agile fashion. And so what did they do? They put together a classic project management plan and they realized a few months in that, well, if we're going to try and change and be more agile, why are we using a traditional approach to it? And they actually took their senior team and they started building what's called a backlog list that they started working off. And they started using all the principles of how an agile project works, but doing it up at the senior level. And you know, you still see them when they have their meetings. Uh, that's how they work. And it's a really empowering way because now they're much more engaged in the work. They're doing things at a much more rapid pace. They're able to course correct much quicker. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's a good example where you take a traditional old line business and now you're starting to see them adopt new methodologies. They're not digitally native. They weren't born 10 years ago. They've been around for hundreds of years. And now they're able to take these new mechanisms, uh, new theories, new frameworks, and take them and create loads of value. So one question I have, Matt, is that Agile Enterprise is an enterprise question. It's a comment about the company as an organism, even the comment about even the ecosystems which the company may partake in. It is not strictly a comment about the CIO, and yet it's kind of been the CIO's thing as it relates to continuous delivery, if you will. Why, why is that such a center of the storm here? I think it's opportunity. Um, when you see CIOs that have been really successful with increasing the speed in the organization, typically they've gone to agile, but then they've added DevOps into it because the combination of those two give you better speed at a better quality rate. And those CIOs that have done that tend to be the more progressive, the more forward thinking. And what do they do next? They'll be talking to their chief marketing officer and they're saying, hey, you know, maybe we could take some of these methodologies and apply them into the way that we do every project, not, not just technology projects. So the opportunity there is for the CIOs that have done this to take the, those learnings and apply them across the organization. And that's a powerful thing. And it's a great way for a CIO to kind of establish their bona fides as a business leader, not just a technology leader. And that, that's the way that we like to think about it. Um, but the bigger win here is for the organization, for the CEO to realize disruption's coming all, all the time. I've got it from my current competitors. I've got a bunch of startups, insurgents, all these different people that are out there attacking me from all different angles. I need to be able to respond and ideally 
set the agenda, but at least if I can't set it, I need to be able to rapid respond. And so that's what the, the second way. So the idea would be that in the CIO's neck of the woods, out of sheer necessity, they went to Agile. And most, most of them are in a full form or mostly, mostly form of Agile. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk to them, they'll say, we're Agile. And then it begs the next question, are you t- Agile from a technology standpoint or from a business standpoint? And what you're saying is the technology standpoint came first and it can inform that the business can operate in like fashion, almost like live in two-week sprints kind of thing. So when we think of the Agile enterprise, that's not a comment about technology advancement. That's a comment about allocation of resources, prioritization, budgeting, movement of people, project teams forming and performing, all that good stuff. There's a lot of piece parts in that, in that dance. Who, who's governing those piece parts? Because they're not all fitted right now. Well, typically what you'll see is um, where you see the leaders doing it. Um, Bosch, BMO, places like that that have done this. Um, they create, you know, typically they'll call them squads. The squads will have multiple disciplines represented on them. And like across the organization, not just within the IT organization. Yeah, cross-functional. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this is the enterprise concept. Yeah. And they'll have a leader, you know, a product owner um, or an experience owner. And it might be somebody and they're just looking at the experience when somebody opens a new account. And within that, they have those cross-functional roles all represented. And so the way that the model is set up is, you know, I've got a lot of that capability within my team, but then I have to have some of that matrix capability as well to bring in some of those other parts you're talking about, Victor. So how do I, you know, if I need to be able to reach out to a part of the organization that I don't have on that squad, you know, squads are typically less than 10 people. So there's, there's always going to be a need to reach out. So that's where the model has to get very matrix and get efficient. So, you know, this is part of the scaling challenge. And that, that's the real big, op- uh, the big challenge of the day is how do I take this and do a couple of things and, and make it work? Mm-hmm. And then how do I take it broader and broader across the organization? So I want to give you a, a segmentation. There's, there's those that were born that way and those that became that way because they worked hard to achieve that. And there's those that may never get that way. Either they don't feel they have to, or maybe they don't have to, or they just don't want to. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority sit in the middle. I want to be that way, but I haven't got there yet. Let's go back to the first segment. What's learnable about those that were born that way, or more to the point, those that became that way? For those people that have, like you said, you know, born that way or became it, um, I, I think the first one is that they do have um, a leadership that has recognized that they need to make change. It starts at the top. That's the starts at the top. You have to have somebody who's out there supporting it, pushing it, and driving it. I think the second thing is um, they tend to tackle problems they can solve first. Uh, a lot of times when we do these things, we want to create uh, a team that can go in and tackle every problem. You know, when I do things personally, I do skew to where I can solve that first problem. Yeah, we'll put some points on the board, be surgical, Absolutely. not try to boil the ocean. That sort of- exactly right. Um, the third thing I would go to that you start to see them do is um, they do go up, reach out and get somebody who's been there and done it before. You know, you, you do need to make sure that, you know, it's easy to sit there and say, hey, I can go and and and, and, and staff this up and run with it. But um, there's a lot of um, lessons learned out there that you can get from external partners that, I think it's just something you want to do. There's no need to go in a wrong direction because all of a sudden you have to course correct. So um, I think that ability to, you know, tap into an external knowledge base, I think is critical. And then the fourth one that I think I would uh, focus on would be um, the way that they've scaled it. 
And, you know, that's got to lead back into some of that executive buy-in and that executive leadership. But I think also that ability to get the rest of the organization and get the culture changed. Um, If you don't get that, you're going to really struggle to scale these types of things because, you know, you've got 10 teams working in one fashion and then the rest of the organization is doing everything the old way. People don't like to change. And so how do you get them bought in? And it's a mix of, you know, the right, uh, leadership, the right metrics. You got to put that into the performance management system. So there's a big piece there of how do you drive that culture change, and then that helps you scale. One of the things I've listened to over the last month is I've I've had the opportunity to meet with executives from different industries. Mm-hmm. So, banking, insurance, wealth management, healthcare insurance being four. And each of them sort of said, I want to learn lessons outside my industry because I'm not sure the best practices are going to come from within my industry. So it's sort of like a neighborhood where everyone thinks the grass is greener on the other side of the other one's fence and everyone just looks looks over. It's like this nice circle. But what industry should we look at that says, no, I think that industry has got it either because they've been under such pressure they had no choice to move or to your point on insurgents, someone came in, reset the bar, and it's either you get there or you're dead anyway. So what, what industry do you look at and go, no, that's the one to look at? I'll give you a non-answer. Um, you know, I, th- I think this is one of these, look at the companies that have done it and done it well. I think they cut across segments. I go, if you're really going to pin me down, I'd probably say look at the tech sector, and that gets a pre- that's pretty broad. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the tech sector, going back to your segmentation, there's a lot of companies that were born this way, and there's a lot of companies that became that way. SAP, um, biggest software company in the world, um, they've adopted a lot of these agile thinkings outside of IT. And if you think about it, they're not so much an IT shop, but they deliver software. That right. is, that's their business. And so they've really become very aggressive at the way that they'd use a lot of these agile methods to, to deliver value. So, I, you know, that's the cop out is to say technology, but I think really you can go look at the people and there's not a lot of them, but you can look and see some companies that have been very successful with taking this into HR, marketing, but then they take it cross-functional and they start to think different about their business. And that's where you start to see those success stories. And that's what I want to look for is who's been successful with it. And then can I apply those learnings to my industry? And for this type of approach, I think the answer is yes. In some of the companies we spoke about, the CIO has a funny scope to their job. So they are in part the chief product officer because they are providing the underpinnings to the product, in some cases even going further than that. And they'll go all the way down to systems of records. I mean, the span of that is extraordinary. Can a CIO play in that scope? I mean, can, can that really be a territory someone could excel in? Did it get too big? Does it have to change a bit? Can, you know, can one person really move all that earth? When we look at... CIOs, um, we typically think of three personas. Um, the bulk of folks are sitting in what we call trusted operator. And those are the folks that build their operation around efficiency and effectiveness. And it's your classical view of IT. Um, when you get to the next level of personas, you start to get the folks that we call the change leaders. And those are the folks that are coming in and they're focusing more on the customer. They're bringing in these faster methods. They're connecting technologies and they're delivering insights. Um, that tends to be when the business wants to change. And what do they do? Do they use the same trusted operator? No, sometimes. Bring but a, in somebody else. A lot of times they bring in somebody else to do that. And now I still need that That's foundation. Cool. 
I still need that. And this goes back to where we, you know, we're talking earlier on, you need that foundation in place, but then I need to change it. And when I've got those two, I get to the third persona and that's what we call the business partner. And that's somebody who's got this fast, flexible, agile IT capability that they can take technology and they can go to the chief marketing officer and say, you know what? I think we can solve that retention problem by applying these technology chains. And that's where you start to get really creative. So there's a maturation of the CIO and the organization. So to sit there and say, you know, if I have somebody in that trusted operator space to say, let's go do this, probably not going to work, you know, but I need to go then think about how I'm going to mature that operation, improve the capabilities and get it to the point where now they can handle that broader scope that you're getting at. And so I think that that's the important thing. And when you, when you've got that in there, typically you'll see with a business partner, they might have a COO that COO runs the day-to-day operations. So that frees the person up to focus more on these value added about how I'm delivering uh, the right capabilities and the right solutions for the business. So I I think you got to mature that organization at the right pace. And then you then have that ability to handle, and it is a massive scope. You're right. It's a big scope and, but you got to get there. Take a little time. So speed is in service of the customer expectation and you have some CIOs that think of the customer as an internal entity. Most are sort of moving past that point, I think. Um, but when they think of the customer, they might they might think of it as test data for AI proof of concepts. They might think of it as co-creation of a feature set over there or some delivery. How many CIOs in you in your universe sort of have this holistic, dynamic view of customers that truly can inform speed, inform the direction of speed? Um, when you go, we have different ways of looking at that. Um, the number that you see, it's going to be pretty low, you know, different, uh, ways we look at it plus or minus 25% are in that top bucket, I I would argue. So, um, there's still a lot of people that have to get there. Is that a preference question, a structural question or a capability question? Meaning I can, but I don't want to, I can, I want to, but I can't. What is in the mix of that? I'd go back to the personas. You know, when I got somebody who's a trusted operator, those are people that have been, in some cases, hugely successful just by low cost and it's always up. But when you go to them and you say, hey, you know, we want to go faster and we want to change the way we operate. We want to get you better integrated to the business and we want you to focus on the customer. Those folks look at it and they say, well, that's not me. And I might be a couple of years away from retirement. And do I want my last thing to be that I went through a massive transformation that doesn't work? Um, you know, those things happen. And um, I think what you start to see is that those folks, that's more of kind of the, the desire, the will side of things. I think when you get to the change folks, um, that's more, hey, we want to do this, but I got to build the capability. So that's your capability play, what you're getting at. Um, at the top end, you've done a lot of that change and things like that. And it's more just the, the execution side of things. Can you get out there and do it and do it well? and continue to innovate and, and continue to move the bar higher. How many CIOs do you think say, I'm not a change agent. That's never been me. It won't be me for a variety of reasons. I'm going to hire one. I'm going to put one on my team, someone who's just not like me. And I'm going to you know, empower them to take that on as a mandate in context of me. How many are doing that so that they don't have to do it themselves, but as opposed to having the CEO hire outside of you know, and hire chief digital officer or something like that. They actually hire themselves, someone in their team that says, this is your mate. This is not my skill. It's your skill. Off you go. When you 
look at the number of folks out there that are doing this. Again, going back to that trusted operator, we estimate that's about 60% of all CIOs. Now, that number should be declining over time because people have to, you know, companies are driving that change. Customers Mm -hmm. require that change. And um, I think when you look at that population, you realize that there's a real need for them to, um, to do the change. But again, do they have that capability? I don't know. Why do you think there's chief digital officers? I'm sorry. The reason that you created a chief digital officer is you don't think your CIO and or your CMO can do it. Now, some folks will say, oh, they just don't have the bandwidth. You have a great leader, they'll find the bandwidth. But it's, it's a, can they get it done? So I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people that reach out and say, we're going to have to bring somebody in to do this. And sometimes it's a new role that they create. And then sometimes it's like, hey, you know, we need to get that new leader in. So you see a, a change at the top, at the top role. Yeah, but to your question, I would venture to guess it's unlikely that it's the CIO bringing in that new role and likely the CEO saying, this is a new role that we need because you're not getting the job done. Well, I guess it goes to my question, which is the CIO has the opportunity to bring it in first. They'll still right. still see the gap first. But that would require some self-actualization. If you don't see yourself that way and you don't think that's your job, that means that's not part of your organization too. I think it's tending to be more that if the CIO sees the opportunity um, or the, the, the threat, can I do it with my team? You right. know, I, I don't see a whole lot of folks, you know, if you see the CIOs hiring a role, it tends to be like a CTO. Um, I don't really see them going out and saying, oh, I'm going to create a, a digital officer within my team. If they do that, it's because the company has made that decision. And they're like, okay, if you're going to lead it, bring in some digital capability. Mm-hmm. And it's more, it feels more reactive in that way. Um, but when you see more of the proactive approach, it is driven from the top, like you were saying. I think you're absolutely correct. And it's them coming in saying, hey, we need this capability. Here's the way we're going to go deliver it, whether it's within the shop or whether it's a new role that they've created outside of the existing organization. So, Matt, what about the CIOs who are doing this well and getting it right? What, you know, in 2019 and beyond, what does their future look like? I, I think it's great, you know, and there's not a lot of them getting it right. Mm-hmm. But those that do, I think they can write their own ticket. Um, internally, I think you're going to start to see more of them go up to this CEO level because of technology being so important. But the other piece of it is I think you're going to see other companies try to hire people away. And then the third thing is I think some of them will feel like they've, you know, it's mission accomplished and they're going to look for that next challenge and they're going to leave. So I think you're going to see some of those top performers really being um, a challenge for organizations to retain. Mm. And then the other end of the spectrum, I think the folks that um, can't get the job done, companies are going to look to replace them. And that's they're going to look to those top performers. And so we think you're going to see a lot of um, flux in CIO roles across industries uh, and companies. And, you know, we predicted for 2019, that's going to be 20%. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if it goes a little higher than that. 20% high? I mean, the 10 year of 20% would be five years. So is that a high number unto itself or is 30% and 40% a high number? Um, I think 30 to 40% is a a much higher number, obviously. Um, But, you know, when you start to look at a CIO and you start to think about 10 years, um, you know, we've been in that range where you get to some of them that have been around for a while. And that's because they were in that trusted operator and they were delivering a service. Um, But today, you know, you need more than a service. You need to be an integral, integral part of your business. Technology can differentiate if you get it right. 
And so that ability to do that, I think you're going to see that number start to drift down because, you know, it's, it's going to be that much more challenging. And the, and the ones that don't succeed, companies that don't succeed, are going to have to go out and get new people mm-hmm. and, and that war for talent. And I think that number is going to go and move much quicker. So, Matt, you gave a game plan for those that either born that way or became that way, a sort of a list of four items. And so let's, let's assume those four items become real for the, for the next group. What, where, where do you think we land at the end of 2019 as it relates to continuous delivery or agile enterprise, this whole concept? Where, where, where does, what does the market look like at the end of 2019? I think from the company perspective, I think you're going to see the people that have cut over be um, much more of leaders in their industries and getting better customer experience and getting better financial returns as, as, a, as a result. Um, the other thing I think you're going to start to see, though, on a, on a broader scale, I think you're going to start to see that organizations may start to change the way that they organize. Um, we wrote about this a little while back um, about some of the outcomes that may happen. And there's a school of thought that things stay very traditional. But there's also this emerging school of thought. If you get into this more agile, cross-functional uh, product type focus, it may change the way that we organize moving forward. And um, I think you may start to see some of the, um, some, some movement in a direction towards where you might see a preferred state at the end of 2019. So I'm a new CIO or a CIO young in my career. I'm in the middle group. I want to be in the lead group. You gave me a list of four things. What do I do tomorrow? I think the first thing you have to do is, um, I, I always counsel folks, um, get those principles pulled together of what your group's going to stand for. And once you have those, that's going to set the, the plan you put in place, but it's also going to set the story that you put into place. And then once you can tell people that story over and over, um, your team will buy in, your business will buy in, and then you'll start to be able to deliver. So, you know, I, I counsel everybody to go back and just take a look at what are you doing today. And when I ask a lot of the CIOs I see every day as I'm going around the country, th- th- there's not always that ability to say, here are the three or four things that we do that we stand for. And, you know, the four that I do are the things that force you. You know, I talk about customer, I talk about speed, I talk about connected, and I talk about insights driven. And if you can talk that clearly about the, you know, four things that you do, then you set your plan. If somebody comes to you and says, I want to do this and it doesn't fit in, get rid of it. Keep your focus, build the story, change your culture. Matt, thank you for your time today. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.